over an hour in, we can do the rest of the awards. I think, honestly, we can kind of rapid fire through these rest of the awards. I think I want to start with the most important one, though, because this one has a lot of changes for me, at least. Coach of the year. This has relative to what I thought would be. This always varies because teams that had the hot starts, cough, cough, wizards, don't have the hot star anymore. We know which teams are kind of legit now. I'm just going to give off my top two, and then you can give off your top two, and then we'll list off some other candidates. Number one for me is Billy Donovan. The okay. Bulls just by far and away, man, the everything. Nobody thought there would be a top four team in the East. Nobody. And the fact that they're number one right now and they look like legit title contenders, that wins out. Number two is a tough one. There's three guys I was deciding between. Coach Spo, because Miami still has 25 and 15 with – Gabe Vincent playing 20 minutes a night and over Yurtsman playing 20 minutes a night is shocking. Uh, uh, Taylor Jenkins for the Grizzlies on the basis of Memphis doing very well. And then uh, J.B. Bickerstaff with Cleveland. I'm sorry, Cleveland, everyone thought was a bottom 10 team in the East. And look, they're bottom five team in the East, pardon me. And look, they've been very good. I went ultimately with Taylor Jenkins, number two. So I got Billy Donovan, Taylor Jenkins, one, two. How did your top two look? So I actually have the exact same top two. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, after that, I would like to give a shout out actually to Doc Rivers in terms of three for him. I think that the Philadelphia 76ers have been a team that's kind of flown under the radar and they're now starting to regain their footing. Real quick, quietly a seven game win streak amidst all the chaos. That is correct. Even amidst all the chaos and their rebounding issues, They went from a top five rebounding team to bottom 10 on both the offensive and defensive ends while still having Embiid and Andre Drummond, as shocking as that is. We might get to the talk where we're literally looking in the mirror and saying the player that they need is Ben Simmons. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. (laughs) Those would be my three guys in that order. And. Billy Donovan is just head and shoulders above the rest. The Chicago Bulls, as you mentioned, nobody thought they would be anywhere near this good. And we're now having the conversation of, are they a piece away from being the best in the East or could they do it given how presently constituted? Jeremy Grant, baby. Let's get the hype train going to the Pistons, to the the Bulls. (laughs) Um, Some other candidates. This is, so this is where Coach Bell, I have number three. I think just on Miami's again, this is not me being a heat homer. Miami, look at that roster, dude. They're so thinned down. They're still winning. Like they just beat the Suns the other day by what, like 20 something. Like I got to give coach Bo this. And then this is an easy choice for me, but I have Steve Kerr and Monty Williams. You got to put the two best teams in the entire league. Their coaches up here, Phoenix on the narrative of nobody thought they would repeat this Remember the whole, the finals run was a fluke. They didn't have to face the Bronner AD or Kawhi or Murray. They're going to regress. Remember last season, they had no COVID issues. They were the only team that had like no COVID outbreak. And here they are. They're still winning. And Steve Kerr, the Warriors are still the best team in the, the entire league. As of now, they've still been regular season wise, the best team and they're getting clay back. So that's my, are there any other candidates that we should name out there? JB Bickerstaff was a very, very close honorable mention, but the fall off by Cleveland's uh, made his case a little bit lower for me. You know, as much as he should be framed for murder of a great offense, I guess you could make the argument for Jason Kidd. Well, he, he did promise defense uh, at the beginning of the year, and they have been better defensively. So they have been that. better defensively. I don't know if it's something that'll hold up, but 
Good for should them we, so far. Should we give it some honors to Steve Nash for doing what they should show in Brooklyn? <laughs> I don't even know if you can say that he's dealt with it because if, <laughs> if dealing with it means, okay, I'm going to have to make the rash decision. Hmm, Durant, you're going to have to play all 48 tonight. I don't know if that really counts as coaching or just, you know, we don't really have another actual alternative. So let's just play our best players as much as we possibly can. DeAndre Bembry, get out there. Go stay in the corner. <laughs> so I think, coaches, that makes pretty much sense. Let's rapid fire in, like, the next 10 minutes through all these awards because, honestly, a lot of the guys we had in our quarter mark rankings are going to be on the same, honestly, ballot for this time around. And these are the awards where there's a couple that are pretty set in stone, but there's some where it's, like, until the end of the year hits, especially most improved, I won't know who my final pick is. Let's start from the top, rookie of the year. I'll let you run through your mini ballot first, and then I'll give my guys. So I still have Evan Mobley as my slight rookie of the year. I don't think that I've seen much in terms of improvement offensively as I thought I would see from the quarter mark to where we are now. But the defense is unmatched. He looks like he's a young Kevin Garnett on that end. And then offensively, if you could just, you know, ask Jarrett Allen for a lesson in terms of post moves, his game would go to a complete another level. He's starting to shoot the three ball slightly better than he has in recent weeks. And if that's something that continues in terms of that trend, that end of the floor will only get better. And recently Cleveland, after they, you know, lost Ricky Rubio and then they brought in Rajon Rondo, they have started to use him more as an on ball threat, especially when Garland has come out of the game and if he's able to get his handle up, that'll be just another tool that he can use to, you know, break down defenses and be a better half-court scorer. I also went with Evan Mobley, number one. And then after that, honestly, you could toss it up in the air. I was between Scotty Barnes, Josh Giddy, Kate Cunningham. Same three I had last time. I'm actually going to move Kate up to number two just because Kate's been really, really good. And in terms of offensive creation and being a better player, like, as like a number one, he's better than all of those guys. Um, the worst guy, I think Scotty Barnes moves down to number four. He's just cooled off a lot compared to the quarter mark. And Josh Giddy's been very good. The 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 zero point uh, double double uh, stood out from uh, the, the resume, but he's been very good. Youngest player ever to average uh, to get a triple double in a game. That's all the, the promise in the world. Great pick by the Thunder, I will say. Yes, it was a great pick by the Thunder. And I also have the same two and three. I, or excuse me, no, I have Cade Cunningham at three. And then I actually have Franz Wagner at four. Oh, he, he was number, he's a tough one, dude. He's so good. The Magic actually got a draft pick right. <laughs> yeah, they got a draft pick right. I mean, him and Cole Anthony are two guys to actually build around for the future. But I will say Franz Wagner is a guy who has completely exceeded expectations more than those other guys. While not being a actual lottery pick, I think that being a guy that's kind of come out of nowhere, even when he was at Michigan, he was not known as the guy last season. And now he's come into Orlando and he started out as a guy that was basically just a spot up shooter that would stand in the corner and make threes. He's now being used in terms of high pick and roll. And he started to set off ball screens as well. He's playing within the flow of the offense. And when he's on the court, as well as him, I think, Gary Harris, as well as, you know, Chumo Kiki and a couple of other guys, they have been a decent team. And for a guy that is basically just on a team that's not going anywhere, that's mostly what this rookie of the, rookie of the year race is. 
I think you really can't take anything away from him. Uh, next award, Defensive Player of the Year. This is one where I throw my hands up because it's kind of the same debate as last time, Draymond versus Gobert versus Giannis. Gobert, it's kind of like the system defensively is built around Utah crashing into the paint and letting Gobert swat away. The numbers all back it up. There's the Giannis factor where he's easily the most versatile and just overall athletic-wise and skill set-wise, just a good defender. And then there's Draymond where similar to a little – he's kind of like the Goldilocks where he's got the athleticism and the IQ of Giannis, but the structure and the dynamic system in Golden State, kind of like Utah. I kept – I flipped it around. I put Giannis number one, and then I had the same order of Draymond and Gobert. But I, you can make a case for any of those three guys, really. You definitely can. I think that not even just this season, but speaking in terms of who are the best three defenders in the NBA, those are the best three defenders in the entire NBA. On-ball guards, you could make the you know argument for OG Anunoby or Matisse Thybul or Gary Payton II. You know, then wing defenders, you could say Denny Avdia or Mikhail Bridges or, you know, a healthy Kawhi maybe. But I think at this point in the season, those are the three guys that are head and shoulders above everyone else in this race. You can look at Defensive Raptor. You can look at bballindex.com, assisted plus minus, you know, rationally assisted plus minus, and a bunch of other player impact stats. Almost all of them will tell you that those three, in whatever order, are the three best defenders this season. I have reluctantly put, right at this moment, Rudy Gobert as my number one defensive player of the year. Oh, yeah. And then I, well, okay, that's not a homer pick at all, just because before him going out in COVID health and safety protocols, I was curious to see how much of a drop-off the Jazz would have on that end. And not really to anybody's chagrin or surprise, the Jazz have decided to plummet to the worst defense in the entire NBA by four points per 100. Now that he is <laughs> out of the game. And I must say, those were all just the weaknesses that we knew that this team had, even with, with him on the floor, was he's the only one defending. And we've heard Markeith Morris, or Marcus Morris, as well as Ty Lu say, no, not Marquise Morris. He's still out. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, Marcus Morris, as well as Ty Lue. That entire series, we were going to defend. We were going to attack wherever Gobert wasn't. And when you hear something like that, you know that everybody on the other team knows just how valuable this guy is. Everybody in Utah knows just how valuable this guy is. When he's on the floor, same thing we've seen in years past. The Jazz are an elite defense. That's basically a one-man show. And when he's off the floor, the Jazz have issues all over the place because it's a lot of stand and watch. And then you see guys such as Anthony Edwards and Andrew Wiggins look like the best players in the world going right by their defender to the rim. And there's nothing anybody else in that team can do. Then second, I that second on the defensive player of the year ladder to me is Draymond Green. He is the jack of all trades defensively. Great on the ball, great as a help side defender, rim protector. He leads the league again this year in stocks, which is steals and blocks. And everything that we've seen from here, him this year is no different than years past. I think that he's one of those guys that only has one defensive player of the year, but probably should have two or even three. And then Giannis is a somewhat distant third, 
even though his on-off splits would tell you that when he's on the floor playing a smallish five versus him playing the four, the Milwaukee Bucks are even better. So as long as you have those three guys in whatever order, I think you're probably right. But I have Gobert one, Draymond two, and Giannis three. I will say the pinnacle of the Gobertless Jazz was when the Pistons scored 120 plus. And by the way, they are shooting 28% from three as a team this year which honestly they might be the worst three point shooting team ever besides the 2016 Sixers. I'm not even like, if you really look or uh, the Bobcats, pardon me, easily the worst th- shooting team I, I can remember. Um, and it's 2022, my dad. Um, that's, I think top three, it's a queer top three. We don't need to do the other candidates. Uh, six man of the year is very hard because I call this the Derek Rose corollary where the, the, a lot of the candidates play a lot of minutes as a six man, but then close games or end up starting. And this is Jalen Brunson. He's yeah. easily a clear pick, but he's starting now for the Mavericks. And then he's still starting. And it, I don't think they're going to take him off the starting lineup, but he was on the bench before being playing very well. Is it fair to have him number one, or should there be more credit to people actually kind of doing the Jordan Clarks and Tyler hero directly coming off the bench? Oh, okay. I am shocked to hear that you think that Jalen Brunson would be the sixth man of the year because of the amount of time that he started. But I was, it, it, it's a conversation. It, it, this is the only real quick. This is the only award I don't have a final list for because of that corollary. Because Derek Rose started off as a sixth man last year, and then halfway through the year, they're like, "Oh no, we're going to start you because we need offense." But he still like was a six man candidate, even though he played half the games as a starter. So. Like, how do you kind of gauge that when you did this award and what was your ultimate list? So Jalen Brunson, to me, might be the single best guard that comes off of the bench in the entire NBA. In terms of rim finishing, as well as pocket picking defensively and ability to manipulate screens, run on and off of them, either offensively and defensively, or being able to play off the ball. But to me, this is Tyler Hero. I granted- same, Same here. I know that his numbers have fallen down a little bit from the scorching hot start, but he's still been the best scorer off the bench. He averaged 20 points a game coming off the bench, regardless of the amount of minutes that you play. That's, you know, Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford level. And I just don't see really an argument that would outweigh that for anybody else at this point. And he would be my sixth man of the year. So I've got here also number one, number two, I actually have Patty Mills just because I mean, it sucks because similar to Brunson, he started a couple games amidst the COVID-driven nets, but he's actually coming off the bench again, and he's scorching hot. He's so crucial, especially from three-point land, to keep the offense going. Number three, I have a tie because it's the two weirdest guys in the bout. It's Jalen Brunson, for one, like I mentioned. It's also Gary Payton II. Just from a switchability, you know, he fits well in the system. Now, I will say – he gets docked for only playing 20 minutes a night. And the fact that if it's not Golden State, it's nowhere else. But in terms of what the sixth man of the year is, which is who is the best sixth guy on your team, if you kind of count down Golden State's roster, he's their sixth guy. He's the perfect plug and play, shooting super. He, his true shooting percentage is like 60 something percent. And this is like a six foot two guard who doesn't take many threes. One of the best inside finishers for like a six foot two guy in the entire league. And defensively, he plays like a center, but he's six foot two. So I got to just give credits to him. I, again, six man of the year is very tough. This is one of those awards I always say for last just because of that. But the one I really say for last, and this is a tough one, most improved. 
very subjective because a lot of people most improved in the quarter mark ballot. I had Miles Bridges. He's cooled off. Oh, it, I got it. I got to go with John Morant. I got to go with John Morant, dude. I The problem with John Morant, though, is that people knew he would be like this. I think with most improved people think the guy comes out of nowhere and is suddenly good. Like DeJounte Murray is also similar where it's like he's averaging a near triple double. But if you pay attention to San Antonio, we've seen the warning signs of this before. Whereas like, I don't know, like, is it safe to go with John Moran here? Or do you have another guy in mind? I only have one guy on my oh. list just because the ballot for this is just freaking ridiculous. It's so many guys. There are so many different guys that you can make the case for. John Morant certainly is my most improved player of the year at this juncture of the season as well. The fact that the guys never made the all-star team before to now we're talking about him as potentially the MVP or first team all NBA. And if he's having the singular best jump that we've seen from a guy that also won rookie of the year, which is something that we're not used to the most improved player track that guys take to their stardom in the league. It's hard to really make the case though, that you've seen a bigger jump from anybody this season because he's now being talked about as one of the best guards, if not players in the entire league, even though just this time last season, he was a good story who was getting better and might now be thought of as a true number one pick in most years. But I think that even at this time last season, people would have taken a healthy Zion over a healthy jaw. And now people are really thinking about, well, whoops, (laughs) if we redrafted that draft, it's not even close. I mean, Jaw would certainly be the number one overall pick. And I think Zion would go number two, but I'm not even sure if that's the case anymore. But that's the key reference why I think he should win most improved. As much as people knew about it, he goes from arguably top three young guy to now arguably top three on my MVP ballot, if you really think about it. So it's a clear choice for me. And then now that's kind of the award segment part of this pod. So we got through that. So we have, I have a fun little segment here for the last, like, I guess, 40 minutes or however, however long we need to go. Trade yeah. deadline season is here. So we're, I think, what, like a month and like a couple of days out from the trade deadline. By the time this goes up, it'll probably be around like exactly a month until trade deadline hits the floor. We haven't done many pods, in fact, at all kind of on just solely focusing on players to watch out for, teams to watch out for. And I have a couple segments down the road, but I think it would be a cool idea to do a segment with you. We, I have not prepped for this and I did not tell you about this beforehand. I just said, we'll do some trade stuff. The segment I have here is, what are some teams to watch out for at the deadline? I have no list whatsoever. We can go in any order you want. This could be a team that's tanking to sell off some guys. This could be a team looking to sneak into the play-in, a contender looking to add a piece or two, whatever it may be. Uh, I will say, I, I'd imagine Philly, uh, Philly, Indiana, and Portland might surprise us as uh, being on this list, right? <laughs> But those are definitely some names to remember in terms of teams, though, I want to kind of look at this a little bit different in terms of look at the buyers first on the market and what kinds of needs do need to be filled. Now, I understand that Kevin Love will be a guy that garners serious consideration. He's actually starting to make a sixth man of the year case for himself coming off the bench with Cleveland. And then to me, the biggest one that I'm looking at we can talk about whether or not, you know, the Grizzlies could get really 
greedy or even the Suns, who have quietly three first round picks that they could throw on jeremy grant or when they get three first round picks what the hell (laughs) i know and it's kind of an embarrassment of riches but that's a team that could get really greedy and just kind of try to put themselves completely over the top but the team to me though is my preseason pick for nba you know league pass team of the year which was the charlotte hornets they have been horrid defensively, except for maybe last night against the Bucks. I would love to see them finally address their need for a center. Go shopping. Is, real quick, is, Mason, is Mason Plumley not the answer for you at the center anymore? <laughs> you know, I thought about it for about negative two minutes, and then I realized that he's definitely not. <laughs> so I think that guys like Miles Turner and Christian Wood, they can both play defense as well as space the floor offensively work well because they don't need to have the ball in their hands like a lot of other centers. And I think that they certainly have the type of shot creation. If you have LaMelo ball and you're going to be able to run almost any kind of offense and set. So with other guys that don't need to dominate the ball as much and are not going to be looking to, you know, go one-on-one and post up a whole lot. Those are the kinds of bigs that I think work the best with those teams. And both Indiana as well as Houston will probably be looking to move both of those guys. Charlotte needs a center. I think that a deal there should be made. Well, and what's funny is that the rest of the roster is really good. Like Lomelo and Terry Rozier are kind of a cool fit together. Gordon Hayward's the veteran swing man that every team wants. And then they have these young guys they can compile together. P.J. Washington could be a nice trade piece if you're Indiana. They have like the one of the McDaniel's brothers that could be like a nice project forward. They have a fir- they can throw in a first round pick if they really want to. I think their first round pick kind of is a little devalued now that they might actually make the play in or at the very least be in the conversation. It's a that's a great first choice. I'm going to write down the Hornets as a team that you said because I want to go back and forth on some teams to watch out for here. Oh, the, I'm going to go with your Utah Jazz. I know that they're an obvious pick, but. After this megapod we're doing, the one thing that stands out to me is that Utah, for as much as we want to hype it up, if they keep the same team intact, they will not make it past the conference semifinals. I will put that flag down right now. With when you even if if you just look at it right now, I'd argue Golden State and Phoenix are easily better than Utah right now. And then you can argue Utah is the third best team. I would for certainly say yes. But look at the landscape right now. Denver might be able to add Jamal Murray back. And Jokic and Murray just together is a scary duo. We saw it with 2020. Yep. If the Lakers can just fight, even just be in the postseason, they're going to be a threat. And remember, your biggest weakness is defending physicality. And that's what LeBron and Anthony Davis are. Defending bigger wings. Yeah. Smaller guards, we've been fine, essentially – in terms of point of attack, but just adding another six, eight guy that can shoot and defend would be our main thing that we need. And then to keep it going, the Grizzlies, I mean, I mean, we'll get to the Grizzlies. I think they're a team that can make a move potentially, but Dallas, if that you catch them on the wrong week, they're going to get hot from three. How do you stop Luke? They have nobody to stop Luca with all due respect. Um, I'm missing one uh, the Clippers. If Ka- Hey, if Kawhi comes back and PG will be healthy, Hey, your kryptonite's back in the postseason yet again for another round. And keep in mind that they beat the, the Clippers beat your team without Kawhi and with PG running on fumes by the end of that series. So 
I just list off six teams right there that can potentially beat your team. I think what Utah really needs is the Harrison Barge, Jeremy Grant wing stopper, or kind of like uh, it's they basically need a Chris Middleton, Jalen Brown guy, but like the tier below that. So he like some yeah, Brandon Ingram would be a great just some guy who can be a shot maker that's not a small guard because we've seen in past postseasons that your team is limited with small guards, but who can also just be a theory on defense like. Uh, for, for God's sake, Andrew Wiggins would be a perfect fit. But in terms of realisticness, I mean, yeah, a Jeremy Grant, Harrison Barnes type, maybe a Harrison, maybe a part of me, a Buddy Heel, just like three-point guy off the bench, it's a better Jordan Clarkson. Because the problem that I have is that your team has a lot of gunners that can't play defense. And Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, they're just guys who shoot a lot. And if they're inefficient, they don't give you offense or defense. Do you have so, any other guys in mind for you? So Joe Ingles on an expiring contract is probably the guy that the Jazz will indeed move. I've spoken to a beat reporter on the team who says that the Jazz are taking multiple calls every day to see what they can get for Joe Ingles. Now, the current offer on the table for a guy like that would be a Thaddeus Young, which we could get for Joe Ingles. Now, I don't know if that really moves the needle at all, but I do know that that would give the Jazz more of a solidified small ball lineup if they do need to go to that in the postseason. Boyan Bogdanovich is the main wild card here because the Jazz can move him and get something in return. But at the same time, they're not going to get a player that's nearly as off impactful offensively. He's the single best corner three-point shooter in the entire league. And he has the ability to punish smaller defenders when teams go to more of a switching scheme against the jazz when he takes them in the post and has a lethal mid-range he's a great free throw shooter really a three-level scorer that can score 18 without touching the ball a whole lot but on a decent contract of four for 72 million the jazz would be able to move him and get a player of similar caliber which would be the harrison barnes the jeremy grant or an og anunoby as well i, I will so, say if if memphis sucks Desmond Bain or Kyle Anderson on this team would be freaking beautiful, dude. Just like a, a six nine with a six eleven or seven foot wingspan who could just because you're the other problem with your team is what you brought up the Bojan Bogdanovic. You it's it's the John Hollinger bird rights trap where you kind of you you kind of you can trade him because he's probably a weak link, but you're not gonna get equal value back. But keeping him doesn't move the needle to make your team better. I mean, Robert Covington could be a guy on your team if Portland really maybe Robert Covington because what you need is also like a four so that Rudy Gay can like you need a four that can play five so that Rudy Gay can be a four and not play five if that makes sense because Rudy Gay at the five sucks I'm sorry yeah that's not we've seen that that small lineup works when the other team is somehow even smaller than them but that will almost never happen if Rudy Gay is your tallest guy on the floor another guy that I could possibly see the Jazz you know throwing Joe Ingles for would be Kevin Love because the Jazz would probably have to swallow a slightly larger contract with Joe Ingles' contract, you know, expiring. But Cleveland, without Ricky Rubio, and who knows if they're really going to trust Rajon Rondo to stay healthy the entire rest of the season, probably needs another ball handler and shooter coming off of the bench. If the Jazz could get Kevin Love, that would be amazing, because the Jazz are not looking for another guy to handle the ball when you have Mitchell Conley and Clarkson, probably two out of the three are on the court at the same time. 
most likely, which is about 90% of their minutes during this regular season. Real quick, if it's possible, I just thought of this name, Eric Gordon, maybe from the Rockets, just to have like a theory of a, at least a physical guard. Because I, I will say it does suck. You don't have PJ Tucker on your team as a Heat fan because he would be the most ideal fit ever. But Eric well, I, Gordon I as like a – go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, this time last season at the trade deadline, I floated the name Otto Porter to the Jazz. But Whoops. that <laughs> I think every team struck out on him except for the damn Warriors. Yeah, anyway, that, that, maybe Kaming, maybe that you can get Kaminga. <laughs> so we signed Daniel House Jr. a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to give him continued opportunity to prove himself. The other guy that the people have talked about within the Jazz organization is Ingles to Boston, and we get Josh Richardson as oh. well as potentially even Grant Williams as well. Real, Josh awesome. Richardson is is quietly having a little career resurgence after the Philly Dallas bombshell years uh, yep. the past couple seasons. Yeah. So if we were to give up Jared Butler, who was our prized lottery pick that we got in the second round, even though a lot of people believe if he were healthy would have been a top ten pick. We can package Ingles, Jared Butler, and I think we have a couple of picks in 2024 as well as 26 to move as well. Boston said they would actually do that deal, and we would be able to get Josh Richardson as well as Grant Williams. And Grant Williams has been one of the best catch-and-shoot three-point 50, artists. 50-40-90, baby. <laughs> I know. So those <laughs> if the Jazz wanted to, you know, hang on to Boyan but not be able to get a – borderline good to elite player but if the jazz wanted to hold back and keep most of their same core and not have to move any of their starting five players those smaller deals via a thaddeus young kenrich williams grant williams and josh richardson those kinds of players could potentially work let's move on to another team here you're on the clock now to pick a team that you're interested in at the trade deadline i'll let you go first here whatever team you want so a team that I would like to talk about now is more of a seller, I would say. And I'm going to talk about the Sacramento Kings. Oh, yes. Well, I, they, they, do have a lot, they do have a lot of things to sell now, whether they will sell it or not. Uh, you know, they, they could be a playing team. <laughs> it, it could be a playing team. And I don't know if you're Sacramento, do you try to go all in as a buyer potentially to make the playoffs for the first time in eternity? Or do you say that, our ceiling is just so low that by putting ourselves back a few years by, you know, squeaking into the playoffs or the play-in for the first time in ages, we've actually done ourselves harm. To me, I would say they take the latter of those two options and they try to go with the seller mode. Which for the record, they're not going to do. Like I'm saying, I agree with you, but it's the Kings dude. Like we've been saying this for years that they should sell their guys for picks and just, tank the shit and they're going to be the 12th seed every year for eternity so that's probably what they do indeed but if i were their gm i would look at myself in the mirror as well as this roster and say De'Aaron fox is not a max player even though we've paid him to be there are other players and places that we could look to send a guy like that would Denver potentially do a deal like that where we could potentially get Michael Porter Jr. in return because that's also another max player on a bad deal or max or I mean Michael Porter Jr. plus another few guys as well what else could I get from Cleveland if Cleveland was looking to have another secondary ball handler 
you know, Cleveland has a huge lineup as well as Isaac Okoro and a couple of other names that are slipping me for whatever reason are actual defenders, which Sacramento has not had in forever, beside from Rashawn Holmes. Then Sacramento also has the Harrison Barnes on their team, which I don't want to see it happen, but he definitely could end up in Phoenix with the amount of assets that they have. And they would, that would be, be that would be fucking insane. That would be insane not. because they do have the pieces to make it work and they would still add another three and D asset where they would have any two of the four or even three, if they wanted to go small of Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder and Harrison Barnes at that point to be able to round out the fact if, if they need to go small and Deandre Ayton is not on the floor or, you know, Jalen Smith, or JaVale McGee, but they had to go small, they would easily be able to do it with all of those players. Harrison Barnes is arguably the most prized possession at this year's trade deadline. If you actually really did the list, he's easily number one, at least definitely top three. I mean, Ben Simmons, maybe. Well, so so funny thing, here's the hypothetical of the day. This is my hot take. If I am the Kings GM and Daryl Morey calls me and he goes, Ben Simmons for Darren Fox and something else, I would take that. I am trying to get off the De'Aaron Fox contract as soon as possible. You know why? When we just did this All-NBA third, this ballot thing, notice how I listed off all those guards and none of them were De'Aaron Fox. He's not a top 10 guard or even top – like, if you really did the math, it was like, where's De'Aaron Fox in the top guards? He's no more than 10th overall. And I think paying him $30 is stupid. Like, in terms of starting point guards in the league – do you take him over Malik Monk if he's a starting point guard? Do you take him over Mike Conley? Do you take him over – let's name a couple of other ones. Do you take him over Tyrese Maxey moving forward? Tyrese Maxey makes $5 million and doesn't kill your team and, like, on defense. At, like, the point is that Ben Simmons to Sacramento will be the most ideal trade for both sides because if you're Sacramento, you get Ben Simmons, who, by the way, was – is one of the youngest players to average like a gajillion triple doubles ever. If you really look at the numbers, he would be in a small market. The media would not be in Boston or Philly or New York hounding him. You get an all NBA guy, you get off Darren Fox's gajillion dollar contract that you pay him for the next half decade. If you're Phil, you get a guard who can kind of be an energetic creator for your team next to a guy who he's never had, which is a pick and roll all-star in Embiid. And if you're Sacramento, you need a building block. Fox, Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Mitchell Barnes, these are all solid players that cannot be the best player on your franchise. It's just my take of the day. If I got that offer off the table, I would take it. And I will say one more thing because I want to get to some other teams. If you're Sacramento, you need to look at this market and be like, this is a golden opportunity to hit the reset button because there's a ton of teams, especially in the West, fighting for the play. Even Portland – and San Antonio, for as atrocious as they've been, are still going to be fighting for the plan. And even, uh, I would argue, New Orleans is kind of sneakily trying to fight their way in there, too. Besides OKC and Houston, no team is bottoming out in the West. You have premium assets on your team. You have Buddy Heald, who could be an awesome floor spacer for any roster, and he's on a semi-cheap deal. Harrison Barnes is arguably the most valuable guy out there in a three and D wing who can shot create and actually get to the free throw line now and, you know, be something of a a theory of a playmaker and a shot creator. And then you still have De'Aaron Fox who at least like on the right team couldn't be a maybe all-star if you really like 
put your heart toward it. Another, if I'm Sacramento, man, I would just do something. Another idea I've had is if you're OKC, you know that Giddy and Shea are going to be there for the long term, and you hope that's true. Do we know if Lou Dort is going to be? Like, we know that Yeah, Sam he's on a different loves, timeline, low-key. We know that Sam Presti just loves draft picks. The, I mentioned the Phoenix Suns. They are a team that could be sneakily a buyer at this trade line, deadline, as scary as that is. And they're another team that could use another player like that if they wanted to just get greedy. On the Eastern Conference side of things, though, I would say, how about Chicago for Lou Dort, dude? Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, they already potentially have the two best wing defender guards in terms of a duo that any team can throw out there in terms of Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball. Now you add Lou Dort. Could they ever go to a super small lineup that were to have, you know, Caruso, Ball, Dort, then Levine and DeRozan? I don't know if that's big enough to even quantify as a small lineup, but that's another team that you could think about. We've also heard Jeremy Grant to Chicago. What is Kobe White's future with the team? Is he going to be staying there and is he going to want to be the sixth man or does he want to be a guy that will have a chance to take steps forward as a starter elsewhere and the Chicago Bulls would be open to moving him? Well, and the irony of Chicago's trade assets, Patrick Williams, member supposed to be starting small forward, plays like, what, four games and then is out for the year and he could just be a guy that you you play the, the Chicago-style game of, if we're good now, do we just trade in Kobe White and Williams and a pick for something? Also, sneaky good Lou Dort team, but it's not going to happen. But the Memphis Grizzlies, if they had Lou Dort, would be that that might be the, there could be a swing guy for them if you really did the, the numbers. Also, uh, if he somehow made his way in a Los Angeles Clippers uniform, that would make things even more scary for that team because they they could just use another you know rotation size guard wing who can just do it all. That so you have you pick Sacramento and uh the Hornets. I picked Utah. I have another team in mind, the Atlanta uh, Hawks. I hinted at it earlier, they need to make a move. The John Collins rumblings are already out there. Uh, the Ben Simmons fit is interesting. There, you know, the rumors they might get him. My issue with other guys like DeAndre Hunter and Danilo Gallinari that have also been talked about in deals. Well, what's interesting is that they have a lot of pieces they can move because if you look at it, Cam Reddish is a young guy who needs a new place. Jalen Johnson, they had as a top 15 pick. They've got him on their rock. Or no, he was taking 20, but still arguably top 10 pick before he fell off a cliff because of some stuff with off the court and Duke and whatever. Uh, Gallinari is technically an expiring because next year he's only 5 million guaranteed. So they've got that big contract to just make the money work. Collins, if they want to get rid of him, is an asset to a lot of teams and maybe – interesting trade that I had in mind for a long time, John Collins to the Spurs for DeJounte Murray and something. But if you're San Antonio, you get just some glue guy, young guy. And if you're Atlanta, you get the perfect guy next to Trey Young, which is a defensive minded guy who could be a second ball handler, but you still have Trey and he can deal with defense. Because the problem with this team is defense and too many guys with the ball in their hand. They need to cut back on Lou Williams's and Gallinari and all these guys just taking up shots and they need more they need more ironically Solomon Hill more just Mo Harkless is just guys who can be low usage three and D guys who are actually good what what do you make of the Atlanta situation because 
they're not even in the playoffs right now. They're they're the 13th, they're what the 12th seed in the East right now. They're not even in it. So I think that San Antonio says no to that John Collins deal because if I'm San Antonio, I know that Derek White and or Jakob Pertle could both be put together in the same package for something of more, you know, substance, which that could also be John Collins, who knows? But I'm not going to give up DeJounte Murray for another player that's not going to handle the rock because I just would look at my roster and say, Devin Vassell is not our starting point guard. Lonnie Walker is also not our starting point guard. You know, they have so many guys that are young and can do a lot of good things, but also none of them are future stars. And just having a team that has no clear-cut best player, I don't want to get – you know, years down the road when they're all at their Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, Demontis Sabonis, and Miles Turner stage, where I still have no idea who the best player on the team is. But as you mentioned, let's talk about the Atlanta Hawks. I would like to see them also potentially be in a Ben Simmons calls call list every day. Ironically, right? Who would have thought? (laughs) Well, seriously, yeah, after what happened last season. But I also think that any lineup that's comprised of Trey Young, Ben Simmons, and Clint Capella, who, by the way, has fallen off defensively and doesn't look like himself anymore, can be actually something to be a force to be reckoned with on both ends of the floor. But if you're going to have Trey Young on the floor, you do need to have four at least decent, if not above average defenders around him in order to somehow hide a player that can't do anything defensively. And I think that that's mostly the problem that Atlanta had was we have Trey Young, so let's go all in on the offensive end. No, that's really not going to work because you can't just be a team that knows they're horrible defensively and is just going to just pray that it doesn't come back to bite you. It Even as much as offense is amazing these days, defense is one championships And there have been teams that have won championships outside of the top 10 offensively, but there has not been a team that has won a championship with a bottom 15 defense really since the merger. And if you wanted to go back and look in the shot clock era, there's not a team that's had a bottom eight defense that's won the championship at all. I think ironically the last time was Miami in 2013 and they were like eight or nine. So at least from like, I haven't counted the last couple of years because I haven't kept the metric in track in check, but the Lakers were a top team. I think they were number one defense, the Lakers, the Bucks were a top defense defensive team. So yeah, your point stands for sure. Yep. So further on that end, I think that you probably have to look at yourself and say last season, how did we get to the Eastern conference finals? Well, it's because we were a better switching defense and we had guys that would step up and take the challenge. Now DeAndre Hunter seems as though he's not really taking that step as they thought he would. Cam Reddish is probably a guy that has a sixth man of the year in his future, but it's probably elsewhere. Like, what could you get if you called up Denver, who's a team that I don't know whether or not Denver really wants to go through with their current roster, or if they're just going to say, hey, we fold on this season until we get Murray and Porter back, and then we'll run this thing back again. They're another team to look out for. But it's hard for me to think that Atlanta would trade with Philly in the same conference, just the same way that I never bought the Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons talks for either side, because I just don't see any of those teams wanting to help the other by making a trade. But if you're Philly – 
do you want to stay greedy with Ben Simmons and potentially punt the rest of the season because you never decided to trade him? Or would you like to be more aggressive in pursuing the right trade so that it actually does happen and you're able to move forward and try to compete this season? There's a lot to unpack there, so I'll leave at these three points. Number one, the John Collins factor makes this so complicated because here's why. What they need is defense, right? But it's hard to fit a team around Trey Young when he needs certain teammates around him. So, for instance, like the ideal guy would be Ben Simmons or Jeremy Grant, like just a three and D wing in theory who cannot be a ball stopper. With the, but well, they're I mean, two. Wait, but real I'm quick. Three and D in the same sense as Ben Simmons, but yeah, yeah, I got you. But 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 you know what I mean? Like some wing guy who can at least fit in. Yeah. John Collins and Quinn Capella, and then that guy, that's a lot of bigness on a team. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Quinn Capella, you're paying all this money to, what, play 28 minutes a night, and then you put him on the bench in fourth quarters. John Collins at the five is atrocious. And yep. you, you, it's kind of one of those things where if John Collins isn't the main piece to be moved, I don't know where this team goes. That's number one. Number two, this does prove that there is a certain ceiling to Trey Young as a championship title guy as your number one. This is exactly like the Isaiah Thomas Celtics where like, and, and we're talking uh, mini Isaiah Thomas, where if you have a small guard, who's your number one, you can only do so well. Look at historically, you look at Kevin Johnson with the Suns. you look at, uh, well, I mean, the only three like legitimate small guys that could have said that they won. I mean, really only two, if you're talking championships is Steph Curry and the original Isaiah Thomas. Exactly. So, and and, 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 and those had special ball. circumstances too. Correct. Yeah. Like I'm looking at like Kevin Johnson, um, who, I mean, I, Alan Iverson, uh, Steve Nash, there's some of these like all offense, small guards. You, you can only do so much to build around them when you don't have the perfect team or all the assets. And the number three is the Ben Simmons bullshit because I've said this for the longest time that this Ben Simmons thing is screwed up on all fronts. Ben Simmons playing the mental health issue is the one that stands out to me because it's not that we're discrediting mental health, but the fact that he has all these problems and won't play for Philly, but teams are still shopping for Ben Simmons means that he can play and just doesn't want to play for Philly. And it's really discrediting the mental health of actual problems that some NBA players may have. And then number two, it's this fact that he's been away with the team this whole time. He could really honestly, his best bet might be to play for Philly because he can rebuild his value and actually kind of get out of Philly because now you have this situation where he's under contract. Like, I just hate to be that guy where you're under contract to play for Philadelphia and you're not playing for Philadelphia. It's one thing if the team, like, F you over or whatever, but you screwed up on so many occasions. You're a arguably top 15 guy if you really like in the middle of your prime thought about it. And here you are with this situation. I didn't want to get into the Ben Simmons saga yet, but this is a crazy situation. And if you're Philly, I don't want to waste a year of Joel Embiid's prime because Ben Simmons and Rich Paul and his whole team wanted to have a hissy fit for the entire 2022 season. Also, I think that it's offensive to clutch sports to really have Ben Simmons on their payroll. But at the same time, if you're Ben Simmons, yeah, like you mentioned, you probably need to remind people who you are in terms of the better parts of your game because the last image that people had was you passing up a layup and then shooting the worst percentage from the free throw line in playoff history. Or the three shots in all of the fourth quarters combined. And then you look at it, and he's the exact same player in 2000. 
17 or uh, is it 17 or 18? 2019. He yeah. was also a terrible fourth quarter player. That's one of the reasons why that Sixers team didn't get past the Raptors. Well, how about Boston in 2017 or 18 where they get swept? Okay. Or no, they either lose in five or they get swept, but it was one of those like Ben Simmons sucked. Um, the Raptors series atrocious, and then this Hawks series even more ungodly. We've seen it time and time again with this guy where he has not improved from rookie year until now. And again, if you're Philly, I kind of agree with you. I know it's easier said than done, but I'd rather just have a guy or two to play for Philly to at least put you in the conversation than than do anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's easier said than done. We don't really know what's happening inside Ben Simmons' mind or with the Sixers at this point. I would imagine that they're probably taking calls for him all the time. But even if you are that team, you really have to look at yourself in the mirror and say at some point, Ben Simmons is not as good as we thought he was. So we may only have the opportunity to get rid of him for a lesser deal because do we really want to punt on the rest of this entire season and waste away Embiid's career and his prime years? Because if you wait too long, I don't think that Embiid has a no trade clause. So he could also try to force his way out of that team. And that's definitely not what you want because then you would have two max players on your hands that both of them think that they are of the MVP caliber and you're not going to be able to pay both. And then you would just have a whole jumbled situation. I will say, and you and me are the history nerds of all NBA basketball nerds out there. You know this better than anybody. Title windows open and close. There are only certain seasons. You have a 3% chance of winning the title every year, no matter what. And we've seen this where just certain things happen where it's like, God damn it. Like if now is the time when you have a guy who's the top seven player in the league to make, put all your chips in and say, we're either all or nothing. Milwaukee is a perfect example of this where they said, Hey, we are not good right now. We are swapping out Eric blood. So we're putting in this all NBA guard who can actually fit with our team. They gave up a gajillion picks. Hey, it worked. Look at Brooklyn. They were like, Kyrie and KD is not enough. We're going to push all our chips for James Harden. And they were a Kevin Durant shoe size away from making the NBA finals, arguably. We've seen this in the past couple of years. Look, I mean, look at the Clippers right now, for instance, where we think they're going to win the title and this bubble fluke season plus last season with Kawhi's injury, their title windows arguably close. Denver, look at Denver where – they start out six and one. They come off this bubble year. They they're, you know, undefeated when they make the Aaron Gordon trade. Murray blows out his ACL. There goes Denver. Title windows open and close just like that. Golden State, we also just saw this right now where they have this five-year run where they're the best team in all of the NBA. And then they have this two-year hiatus where they can't even make the playoffs. So if you're Philly, I, I just think it's hard to waste Embiid's prime like that, especially when I'm just looking at the East right now. Chicago can easily fall off a cliff. Brooklyn's as a big of a kryptonite as it is ever. Milwaukee can always just lose Middleton or Holiday for a series, and just like that, they're gone, and they're very thin as it is. Miami's just not healthy. Even as a Heat fan myself, we're good, but you can only win if you have all your guys on your team. And the rest of the East isn't good. Philly can arguably be a top-five team in the East if it wanted to, but it's not. They are anyway, as is, record-wise, and I just don't know – if they are fine with being complacent and being a first round exit or who knows they, you know, if the heat were to continue to slide and the Cavaliers rise up in the standings, 
the Cavs could beat the Sixers in the playoff series, and I I wouldn't even be surprised. Yeah, it, it's this Philly situation has been fascinating, and you know, hopefully we'll have a conclusion if it's not this deadline soon because this is just getting out of hand in terms of both sides, shall we say. Of- there's also the talks that Philly at this point looked themselves in the mirror and said that we could put Tobias Harris. Yes, the 80 million. Well, <laughs> Ben Simmons in the same trade package to try to get a legitimate superstar because I think at that point, maybe, you know, Portland at that point would maybe think, okay, we didn't want to do Dame for Simmons because obviously we lose that. But if we were to get Tobias Harris as well, we could maybe fathom doing it now. Oh my, well, the funny thing too with this Philly thing, because I want to do the other teams is that Philly screws this up entirely the past couple of years. They lose out on Jimmy Butler when he's better than all of Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Jimmy. They trade like multiple first round picks. And then who else? There was another, uh, there was another key player in that deal that Philly lost on to get Tobias Harris. And then they give Simmons this mega contract when he didn't really need it yet because they could have just waited till restricted free agency and they gave him the max max. And Tobias Harris, they gave the max. So they lost Jimmy, and now they have two max guys who aren't really max guys. So, again, crisis management indeed. What's an, uh, we can kind of move on because I wanted to talk about the Lakers as, like, the final bit because we always got to talk about the Lakers on our pods because what the hell. Lakers, uh, Warriors, Nets. That, uh... I think before we move on to some rapid-fire trade stuff, Portland and Indiana are probably the two teams that we got to look out for. Any – it sounds like Damian Lillard and Sabonis are probably the two guys to not get traded just based on what we've seen so far. Those are the franchise guys for better or worse. What, what, what's the situation kind of out of both those two teams do you think moving into the deadline? So I'm going to keep this quick with both teams. I think that you're right that Simmons is probably not going to get moved, but Sabonis as well as Lillard, I think both of those players will stay with their teams as the franchise guy We've heard reports from Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports that potentially Lillard has played his last game of the season already. Well, that would be insane, dude. Oh, my God. I mean, I feel bad for all the Portland fans, Colin included. But if that's the case, then I don't know what kind of trade value Lillard would have at that point. We know that he's maybe already had his truly best self already in the rearview mirror and at this point he would be just back down from all-star versus superstar level and then on the Sabonis side he was never a superstar he made the all-star team once or twice and he was still never a great defensive player he was constantly out of position and I think people still questioned whether or not he would ever get to a superstar level offensively so he'll never be the best player on a really good team and playing off the balls at number two was probably still in loftier expectations, and you would probably want him more as a three. I think that there is a market out there for Demonis Sabonis, but I don't think that it's as high as a lot of people think. All right, let's get into the Lakers. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker, there's a lot of guys looking uh, to acquire him, right? I will say, uh, I do love the report that came out the other day of the Lakers are actively looking to maybe trade Russell Westbrook, but there are some big obstacles in the way. Does big obstacles mean the $45 million he's owed every year for like the next two years? <laughs> yeah, I think that's where people would start, besides the fact that people watch Russell Westbrook on this Lakers team. And <laughs> they don't really see 2017 Russell Westbrook. They don't really see 2014 Russell Westbrook. They're watching the player right now that 
there is a legitimate case, even net rating and on-off rating wise, that the team is somehow better when he's off the floor. And if that's the case, this is not a 2017 Kawhi where the Spurs were a little bit better when he's off the floor, but mostly because that means the other team's superstars were off of the floor at the same time. It means that they are struggling to find an identity and he is not a guy that can go to another team on that contract and solve their identity crisis right away. So I just don't know who would really want Russell Westbrook at this point besides maybe if the Cavs wanted to blow it up besides just keeping their three guys intact, which is Garland, Jared Allen, as well as Evan Mobley, and then everyone else in the roster could be subject to being moved. If you're the Lakers, though, THT is probably your one guy that you could try to move because he's going to fall out of the rotation most likely anyway when Kendrick Nunn returns. Well, what's actually funny enough is they actually could put a package together because THT makes like 10 or 12 million. They have a couple of guys that make like 3 million, and then they actually still have a first round pick, arguably enough from the AD trade, where it's like a 2027 or eight, and they could just take one of the years and give it. So there is a theory of a player out there, but I, I, I've beat the dead horse on this where they should have just taken the the not Russell Westbrook trade and just taken Buddy Heald or at least just kept their guys. I think just staying Pat would have been good because here's the other thing too, is that it's not only like, Oh, they have Westbrook. What the hell? They gave up a lot of assets financially. They just have no flexibility whatsoever. Their only way to improve is the bio market. Right. Or, you know, it would be like, for instance, like the, 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 <laughs> whoops the like for instance the magic cut robin williams and the lakers can sign him to a minimum like that's the only way where this team can even get remotely better like it is scary that this team has to play avery bradley like 30 minutes a night when he almost was out of the league and by the way stanley johnson was out of the league and they have to keep him just to have a theory of a wing on their team because they have no athleticism whatsoever it, it, this is a bad team <laughs> You know what's crazy, though, is if they really wanted to commit to the LeBron at the five minutes, knowing that he really doesn't have to exert a whole lot of energy if they were to put the right pieces around him and he plays that Draymond Green, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo center field role in the middle, could they hit up Philly and literally say, we'll take Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris for Anthony Davis? So. Another thought I had was, what if Philly just says, fuck it, let's get Westbrook? <laughs> Daryl Morey would never do that, but it, it would never happen, but it, maybe not. Okay, maybe, but to, that would be a good fit, though, because if you're if you're the Lakers, you easily – you take the cap hit. This is my yeah. other hot take. Yeah, I don't think, all you got to do is just add two shooters, and you get Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn, then you have Harris, Simmons, and LeBron. Well, and here's my other thing, too, is that Simmons can also play the five, so that works, too. And my other take is – I think Anthony Davis, like Bubble Davis, that might be the peak of his powers. I don't think AD will ever be a top five guy ever again. Maybe top 10 to 15. Maybe. He's he's probably not in the top 15, depending on how you rank the guys anyway right now. I will say relative to when I started this pod versus like now, the biggest drop-off guy for my all-time rankings has been Anthony Davis. After that bubble year where you can make the case he's like a top 40 guy, maybe if you really think it, to now – He's yeah. not even in the top 60, 65. He, he fell off a lot. He, he hasn't been good. So he has not been good, but I also don't think that you can really say that he's not a good player anymore. 
if he had played this entire season, he was probably going to make the all-star team given his numbers were slightly better offensively than last year. And he's not the defensive player of the year caliber player that we know he probably should be because there was at one point where people were saying, is he the best of both Kevin Garnett and Hakeem Olajuwon and Tim Duncan all in one player? Well, well all of those players can make their mid-rangers and AD can't do that anymore. So, <laughs> Yeah, because Bubble Davis was a 58% mid-range shooter and people were like, oh my God, that's Kevin Durant level. That's amazing. And, and now he's like 100 minus 58. I think, isn't he? He's like, the crazy thing is he was like 17% on threes and like 31% on like long twos. He just never could get he the ranked, jump shot going. He ranked dead last in the NBA in terms of points per jump shot. The, <laughs> the average was 1.04 and he was somewhere close to 0.8. It was way below, like, and, and, on, and on volume, might add on, like, lots of he's the Westbrook guy where he actually takes a lot of mid rangers more than maybe you think, but uh, yeah, that's my Lakers thing. So, we can end off on this note because I think we kind of covered all the big teams and storylines out there. Give us your big trade deadline prediction because I think the next time we'll probably have a pod in terms of trades would probably be after the deadline. So, give us your take on the big move we might see at the deadline. The big move that I have my eyes on is the Charlotte Hornets acquiring Miles Turner. Oh, that's and a good trade. What the Charlotte Hornets could potentially give up is a package centered around Book Knight, PJ Washington, and a couple of picks. I'm going to go with Ben Simmons does not get moved at the deadline. I know it's crazy to think, but. I, I just don't see a team it, – it's just going to be a case of, like, whoever blinks first. You know what I mean? I just don't see a move to have it. Like, what would you give the percentage – and then we'll end on this. What would you give the percentage odds of Simmons actually getting moved to the line for anything? Assuming he doesn't play a minute before then, 30%. Yeah, it, it's nothing so. Has changed their view of him throughout this season, besides maybe it's gotten worse because he's had serious locker room and team issues, as well as potentially mental issues with his, you know, whole psyche since the playoff series last year. I will say also sneaky trade deadline thing I want to be looking out for. Not saying this is a deadline thing per se, but I'm hoping Miami can get something out of Oladipo. Quiet, quietly Oladipo, where he's like the guy in the smoke. We're, we're waiting for him to emerge. Maybe he can be something. Uh, any Oladipo thoughts out there? <laughs> is, he the, is he more theory than actuality at this point? I think he is more theory, though. But, man, that is a significant hole where their question for Miami coming into the year, right, was, yeah, they got Lowry, but how much of an addition in terms of – what you get for it and the picks and everything is Lowry over Goran Dragic, which we now see it was not really a question at all. Lowry's well, real quick, back. could Goran be back? He was practicing in Miami the other day. <laughs> Goran could be back, or they could get a buyout guy. I know that Rondé Hollis-Jefferson potentially could be out there. And let's see here. Langston Galloway was taken off the market a couple of weeks ago, but <laughs> he was another guy that I wanted the Jazz to get. Well, we'll have to be on the lookout for both all of our teams as well as this deadline. So, again, a mega awards pod, mega trade deadline segment, and another awesome season just filled with a ton of roller coaster narratives and all this sort of stuff. So we're just getting started here. So thank you so much for listening. And then, Michael, once again, thank you for joining the pod. Thank you so much, man.